Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. She goes, how did you do that? I said, I have no fear of phone. It taught me no fear of phone. And I don't mean fear of texting. I don't mean fear of emailing. Getting that person on the phone, bypassing the gatekeeper, understanding what multimillionaire people want and need. Things have to come to a surface. Even like the Holocaust, which is so horrific an event that you go, why would six million Jews sacrifice themselves? They might have incarnated and said, I will die in the Holocaust so people never have this happen again. Just like 9-11. Things happen like this so that we start paying attention and fixing shit. If you have health, you have nothing. So I don't give a damn about wealth before health. I want health before wealth, wealth, wealth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Patty Stanger of the millionaire matchmaker Bravo television show fame. So this podcast lit me on fire. We took a very fast and deep vertical dive into her background, how she manifests things at the level that she does what she thinks about COVID. We talk spirituality. We talk past lives. We talk dating. I promise you, I promise you, this is a Patty Stanger you have never heard before. I loved, loved, loved this interview and you will too. So I'm going to stop talking and we're going to get right into it. Patty, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I am so good. And I'm super excited that you're here today because to me, you truly exemplify someone who has found their gifts and is sharing them with the world to make a real impact in people's lives. So I am a you. super fan. You Thank are you so, so welcome. Thank you so much. I, I, you're welcome. I thought we could start off uh, with a bit of background on you, then maybe move into how you think big and truly manifest what you're after. And maybe we can get into some woo-woo spirituality stuff too, if you're cool with that. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So I want to rewind the clock back to you leaving Short Hills, New Jersey for the first time. Wow. And Um, Is that going to college or after college? (laughs) Well, actually, um, heading out to Miami to go to college and maybe, maybe you can sort of perhaps set the scene of what it was like for you leaving the only town that at that time you only, you really knew 
and maybe talk about what it was, what was going through your mind at that time. Well, I lived in Queens till age 11, and then I moved to Short Hills, New Jersey. My dad was from New York. My mom was from Jersey, and my mom wanted to move back to Jersey. But I moved. I missed New York a lot because it was a little more hipper. Short Hills mm-hmm. is kind of like Connecticut on steroids. Yep. And so leaving was, hey, I can't wait. I was not, I was not, I didn't like high school. And going to University of Miami, which was party central at the time, which is, it is not now. It's like really the Harvard of the South, um, was so much fun. The beach, the sun. I remember, I think my, my parents wouldn't let me apply to NYU because my dad didn't want, to meet, didn't want me to be in the city. And I went to the beach like two days into school. And I'm like, why would I ever transfer to NYU? What is wrong with me? You know, it was like yeah, that. right. I got to major in film, and very at that time, I'm old. Those uh, film film majors didn't exist. There was just like Spielberg was older than me, but it was like you know University of California, UCLA, and uh, that was it. You know USC and UCLA, and it really and the East Coast it was like Syracuse. I don't know if American had it, but very few schools, and none of the Ivy League schools let you major in film. Yeah. So you grew up in, you were in Queens. I grew up in Rigo Park. Okay. And I was in Whitestone Beechers. I went to PS193. I went to 49. There you go. Isn't that weird? It's so yeah. weird. Whenever I tell somebody I went to PS49 or JHS119, they're like, what? What do you, what, do you have just numbers there? I'm like, yeah, kind of. Kind of. That's no. pretty much what we had. I remember I used to date the Jewish girls who lived in Forest Hills. Wait, were you Italian? Are you Italian? Yeah, I grew up, my, my mother's from yeah. Naples. I only dated Italian boys. I still only like Italian boys. Like, give me a Cuomo and I'm happy. And I had I had an ex-boyfriend who was a firefighter who said to me, are you sure you're not Italian? Because all my friends were Italian. I learned how to cook Italian like from the old country early on. And when I went to Florence on vacation, I didn't want to leave it. I was like crying. I had like a little, little fit. I was like, I feel like I've lived here before. It's kind of Florence is amazing. I just got back from two months there. It was oh, absolutely you, you incredible. Were you there during Corona? No, we left right when Corona hit, like literally the week that they they locked it down, we flew back wow. to LA. Yeah. We just made it. And then we got locked down here. But yeah. You're so, so lucky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but Italian men just stirred me, you know, crazy. And I'm adopted. So we don't know who my dad is. So that could be, you know, other part of my, you know, heritage. So yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned one of your dreams was to become a screenwriter in New yeah. York. In Correct. what ways, if any, do you think that you're now funneling your passion for screenwriting into what you're currently doing? Well, I'm a producer by nature. And so not just the front of the house. And I had an idea, actually went on a date with a guy that I didn't like. And he turned out to be a, a producer for Hallmark. And I pitched him an idea. And it became this big series at Hallmark called Matchmaker Mysteries with Danica McKellar and Victor Webster. And so now I work with the scriptwriters and I basically, you know, move the cheese, so to speak. And then I kind of clean up the documents, you know, so to speak. Like, like, Carrie, did you know that Carrie Fisher was one of the biggest screen doctors in business? No. And she, she, no, she didn't get credit for it. She'd clean up scripts and make them better. Some of the most famous movies in history. So I do that now. But I'm also writing a book with a very big New York Times bestselling author, and we're going to turn that into a feature film. And I'll probably write the script of somebody else on that. So I'm getting there. You know, I just got into scripted about two years ago, so I'm new to it. Interesting. It's funny how things come back around in your life, yeah. full circle. Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell us who Janice Spindell is oh, and what impact she 
what impact she had on that, on, research. on that um, point in your life. I was, okay, so I had gotten out of college and I went to go work for my parents. Never do that, by the way, FYI. Mm-hmm. And my dad yeah. was a jeweler. And I go, mom, I can't do this. She's like, well, you know, your dad's a jeweler. He's not going to want you to be in the garment center. What are you going to do? And my parents were getting this terrible divorce. And I didn't want to move to California and leave her alone. So I went online and I found this job selling t-shirts in the garment center. And who is my boss? Janice Spindell. And we become best friends. And we're 10 years apart. She lives in uh, Maplewood. I'm from Short Hills. That's one town over. And she was like my big sister. And we have this great relationship. She dated uh, one of my best friend's cousins. It was all six degrees Jewish incestuous relationship. (laughs) And the industry crashes in 1989. She had been my boss for several different companies. And she just didn't really want to work. She just like handed me, you know, the keys to the candy store, but said when markdown money comes in, when the big cheese comes in from the department stores, I'll handle it. And 89 comes and 1989, this is how old I am. And the market crashes in the garment center, kind of like it's doing right now, actually, very similar. And people are like jumping out of buildings and going, you know, because we made a lot of cash fast. And I said to my mother, I'm exhausted. She said, come on vacation. Come down and visit me in Florida. My parents owned a restaurant. I wore my little cutoff jeans and I was the hostess with the mostest with the ocean view, you know, which really was the parking lot of Walmart. Yep. And I helped all, you know, we had a restaurant that was bagels and locks and all that kind of stuff and closed to three. And my mom says, you can't work here for this long. You, you, you got to get a job. So she circles an ad for Great Expectations, which is the oldest dating service in the country. And I go off to become the vice president of marketing of this huge company. My mom was an old time matchmaker. My grandmother fixed my mother up for both her husbands and also uh, did matchmaking in the 60s in Jersey. And Janice gets wind that I'm doing this. And she's just like, what are you doing? I said, I'm a matchmaker, but I'm really not. I'm the vice president of marketing that runs the the company. So it was a true match.com situation. Two people would pick each other on videos or pictures in a book based on mutual consent. My goal was to get them online, which they wouldn't listen to. And Janice decides, poof, she's a matchmaker. So then I moved to California after... I had been engaged uh, once before and the engagement fell out. I moved to California to start my Hollywood career. I'm 38 years old. I'm like, this is going to be my moment. And in order to pay off my credit card debt, I decided to match on the side because the agencies kind of knew who I was from great expectations. And they're like, listen, for every Jewish guy you give me, okay, that you don't like, that you, that you date, I'll give you two dates for that for yourself. So I wouldn't be single. And of right. course I picked all the Italian Goyan boys. Right? Yep, yep. And Janice finds out and she's like, what are you doing now? And I go, I guess I'm in my own business. And I start charging these men who hate these other agencies. They come to me, 10 grand is my first initial fee. Now we're at like 55,000 and she gets jealous and I become the millionaire matchmaker. And the industry did not have a millionaire matchmaker. Men and women were charged equally millionaires and non-millionaires were charged equally. And she starts to copy me. I'm getting press. I'm on CNN. And before I know it, I have a TV show on Bravo and she loses her mind and she mirrored me. So I guess imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And she wasn't wasn't very nice to me. And I heard if you referred her a client or vice versa, you didn't get paid back. So, um, we kept our distance, but she was pissed off that she didn't, she had tried out for Bravo and I guess she didn't make it. Uh. 
And that's the true story. Now, I've always been nice to every matchmaker. I train them at the Matchmakers Institute. Uh, Lisa Clampett, who owns it, is my ex-assistant. So I've always been the person, like, pay it forward. We're so small in industry. I'm working with a matchmaker in South Carolina today, and I'm not even charging her and helping her get her business up off the ground. You know, I always pay it forward. Yeah. Some of them are nasty and they get jealous, just like any industry. Two stockbrokers, you know, in heat, they'll kill each other. (laughs) So that's kind of like, we are kind of like sex, drugs, and rock and roll on steroids, I would say, in our industry, because it is sex. And I was the first one to do no sexual, um, I had sexual harassment policies in place because a lot of times your matchmakers want to date their clients. Mm. And I warned them. I said, it's going to go really bad if this doesn't work out. You know, so I made them sign paperwork that I wasn't, you know, indemnified myself. Basically, it's so interesting. God, there's so many different ways I want to go, but um, I, I want to mm-hmm. touch on what is uh, I think lovingly referred to as the schmata business. Did I get that right? <laughs> That's the gar. Okay, so we know it now as Anna Winter and Fashion Week. There yeah. wasn't no Fashion Week. I was in the jean business and the junior business. I ran Union Bay. I worked for Juju, all these big companies, and that was the most exciting time of our lives. You know, the streets were paved with gold. If you had a big order at Bloomingdale's, the limousine was downstairs with the two theater tickets and they took you to the most expensive steakhouse and they gave you cash in an envelope and they said, next week we'll send you to Bermuda, Barbados, wherever. And it was just really fun. Now it's not like that anymore. It's all online. There's very few department stores. It's kind of falling apart right now. Yeah, I just interviewed a guy. Did you happen to see the Adam Sandler movie, Uncut Gems? Yes, of course. My dad was a jeweler. Okay, do you remember at the very end of the movie, the Jewish New York guy that got the girl out? Yes. Okay, uh-huh. his his name is Wayne Diamonds. And oh, that's funny. <laughs> he is, um, he called himself the jumpsuit king in uh, in, in the Schmacker business. King. My dad was the jean, was the dress king. This is amazing. He was the dress king before he went into jewelry. So we just yeah. we just talked about that time, and he was he was telling me that you know, he got out of it for all of the reasons that you mentioned. It's all it's all falling apart now. But he was saying it oh, was totally. I mean, to start over now, you'd be insane, really. Yeah, he said it was like it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was like that Studio totally. Fifty Four time, cocaine everywhere. I, what they used to do to me that irritated me, I was the fit size model's size. Mm-hmm. So if she didn't show up for the day. They go, hey, Stanger. And mind you, I'm an executive. So could you imagine doing that today in Me Too? Hey, Stanger, put these jeans on for the Bloomingdale's buyer and like prance around. Never. And they'd call me tits on a stick. <laughs> and I, and then in order for me to get even, I go, okay, little dick. <laughs> so I, I can't, the abuse I took, they pinched my ass constantly. I just took it because my father said, look, I told you not to go into this business. You're going to you're gonna be, you know, abused, but you want the cash fast, which I did. I like nice things. I like to buy. And the thing is, this, this generation is so different than ours. We liked our own stuff. We wanted a car. We wanted an apartment. We wanted to go to Hamptons. Like, we didn't rely on our parents, and we did it ourselves, and we were hungry. We were hungry. We were the me generation of the 80s that liked really nice shit. That's why you have sex in the city. You know, we all want a Malone Leblonics, basically. Yeah, and my dad said, if you're going to go in this business, you're going to know that you're going to be abused. And I took it. Yeah, I mean, I'm embarrassed now to say that. To you know, the memo was when we were born, you know, I was born in 66. And the memo mm-hmm. was like. And I'm 61. I'm right behind you. Right behind right. me. Like, right. I, basically, I felt like my parents just sort of like, you know, kicked me out and said, we're going to be here smoking and drinking. Just come home when it's dark. <laughs> Do you remember they 
they'd say, they'd say, come home when it's dark. Now you'll know, that's when you know dinner's ready. Yeah. Yeah. Or you maybe. Ride, you ride your bicycle around the neighborhood, right? And if I didn't, she came out and grabbed me by the ear and pulled me in. But yes, I remember exactly. What do you. And in, Queens, and in Queens, do you remember doing handball against the wall? So I get to Jersey and all the boys are like throwing me the football and the baseball. And I'm like, what? Where's the handball court? <laughs> I was such a fish out of water. It was really funny. Yeah. When I saw people doing like Jersey things like playing football and baseball and stuff, I was like, where do they do that? Because I'm basically paying stoop ball and handball and right, something against exactly. a building. You One know? of the coaches told my mother that I was totally unathletic, which I was. I was a dancer. But, and I could water ski and I could do individual shit. Like I was good at tennis, but he said, she, you know, there, she, he thought I was, should be on the special bus the way I was in sport. <laughs> and I was like, are you like, my parents taught the mind, you know, mentally using the mind is really the great exercise of life. Cause if you use your mind, you can get out of any situation. So my parents were not big on sports. They were card people. They like to play cards. Marjan. They put, my mom played Mahjong, Canaster, Gin, and she was the backgammon champion of El Morocco, and she won against uh, Will Chamberlain. You know what's interesting to me, if I can, if I can say this, I feel like I can say this to you, and I'm not going to piss you off, mm-hmm. but you're adopted, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are so Jewish to me. You, <laughs> you feel so Jewish. Do you think you were born Jewish? Do you know if you were Jewish? No, it's kind of hard because my biological mother was from Michigan, from Royal Oak. That we do know. Mm-hmm. She had an affair. She was druggy. She had two boys already. And she left her husband and went on the open road. It's 1961. Drugs, you know, sex and free love. And they said she had an affair with an Irish cop in town, but she also dated a mafiosa guy. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? And they go, and they go, yeah. And he wrote a book. And I'm looking up in the 60s and there's only Joey Bonanno. And I was watching all the shit on Joey Bonanno and I'm like, could I be, jo- could I be one of the children? That <laughs> can he you wanted? imagine? He was so honest. Like he, if prohibition didn't happen, he'd just be in the liquor business. Yeah. He don't want to kill anyone. Right. So it's kind of interesting. You know, I don't know. I could be. I could be a Jewish. I could be Italian. Who the hell knows what I am? Well, there's not much difference between the two. Maybe maybe the no. difference between the Star of David and the cross and, and gold jewelry around your neck, but there's not a lot. You better remember Jesus was a Jew, so never, never forget that. I, I never do. I never yeah. do. What would right. you say the fashion industry taught you over that, let's say, oh, decade that you okay. were there in the matchmaking I, I business? Every one of my stuff staff. I said, it taught me to get a person on the phone. I used to call Marvin Trapp, the president of Bloomingdale's every day for six months. One day out of the blue, he just walked into my showroom unannounced. Like he didn't make an appointment or anything. And we sold him. And what was, what blew my owner's uh, mind is that she goes, how did you do that? I said, I have no fear of phone. It taught me no fear of phone. And I don't mean fear of texting. I don't mean fear of emailing getting that person on the phone, bypassing the gatekeeper, understanding what multimillionaire people want and need. That's mm. where I think that's why the matchmaking was so successful because I understood that from dealing with the richest people in the world at that time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a segue into that around 2000, you headed out West uh, to mm-hmm. begin Millionaire's Club. And About 1999, 99. July, 1999, okay. July 4th, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You have a super inspiring, big, bold, and very global view of manifesting mm-hmm. what you want. Where or who do you think that mindset came from? It didn't come from my parents. It came from me as a spirit, as a childhood of adoption. I wanted to understand how the universe worked. And I was obsessed with witchcraft. My dad, for 
I guess I don't know what how what age you get the encyclopedias. Maybe like right before junior high. Mm-hmm. He gave me a huge thing of the encyclopedias and said, "There's another book set that comes with this. Is a gift. Look at it." And it was Man, Myth, and Magic, and I was obsessed. I read everything supernatural. I could couldn't couldn't put it down. And then I came upon Abraham Hicks, which was what the secrets based on. Yep. Law of Attraction in 2009, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and so actually, no, earlier, actually, no, it was, it was 1999 and I was obsessed with them. It was very early on. I think they had just stopped doing seminars out of their home. And I was obsessed with how can you manifest what you want? Mm -hmm. And I had a problem with love, but for materialism, I could make money hand over fist. I could think it and see it. I saw my TV show before it happened. It was love was my tough spot which Esther put me in the chair one day, the hot seat. And she said to me, it's very hard to get off of a subject that you work with. Like, you know, I'm a matchmaker and that runs the world. Like, in other words, everything we do is about love, right? How do you get off that subject matter so that you can divert your attention to something else so that it can slip through the cracks in very hard. So that was why I wanted to know how, how the universe kind of worked. What are the mechanisms? Like, what are the rules? Mm Mm-hmm. So, okay, Esther channels Abraham. Right. And right. Abraham is a, co- for those that don't know, Abraham is a collective consciousness of, I think, 10, 12 people, something like that. It's, it's a collective consciousness of beings who have never incarnated in Earth. So sometimes I get pissed at them because I'm like, you've never lived in a human body. How the hell can you tell me what to do? They're <laughs> angry. So that's when I, I that, you know, my mother used to take me to St. Patrick's Cathedral when I was in New York and we light a candle. And I was obsessed with the archangels, like really obsessed with them. So whenever I get depressed, I would ask them for help and they would always come. Like St. Anthony is my favorite. Like I'd marry that, that angel if I could. He finds things. When I lose something, that guy, that angel is Johnny on the spot. And if you're going to sell a house, he's the guy you call to sell the house. Yeah. My, my mother used to say that to me. Pray to St. Anthony. He'll find your keys. My freaking love this angel. He wants <laughs> It's like, you don't wait days and weeks. It's like, turn around. There it is. Okay. So mm-hmm. you're sitting in the chair with, um, with Esther, by the way, what was that experience like? Was that um, unbelievable? But I've been there many times oh, and she's have. never solved it for me. I mean, I had, look, I got to a place where I felt like it didn't work for me anymore. Mm. And I started to look at the new law of attraction teachers. And yeah. I have one called Agnes Finelli. You can look her up on YouTube. She is amazing. She introduced me to Neville Goddard, you know, living in the end. Mm -hmm. So Neville Goddard was the precursor to Abraham. I didn't know there was somebody else who was a minister who was teaching this philosophy. And he believes like when you think it, you can live in the end, but you don't have to feel it. Like she was so into the feeling that I thought I was doing the feeling thing wrong. Now, this is the worst part. I'm an astrologer. She doesn't believe in astrology. She doesn't believe in solar flares and energetic um, times. You know, there's all this stuff that goes on in the universe. Like we're not the only ones here. And she doesn't believe in any of that. So it's very hard for me to take all of Abraham 100% seriously anymore because I look at a lot of different components. I'm kind of like a spiritual scientist. What's your thoughts on past lives? I believe in them. You do. Um, I read... um, you know, Many Lives, Many Masters when I was a kid, Brian Weiss. And my mother was obsessed with the books. And I have been regressed many times. Uh, One of my best friends, Tara Suckvin, who her husband was the leading authority of past life regression before Brian, Dick Suckvin, 
Um, she's regressed me a million times. I've seen my lives. I've felt it. Um, especially when you've got karmic problems, it's a great thing to do in a marital situation. If you're not working out, like you're on the brink of divorce, great thing to do is to do a past life regression. On the other side of the street, Marissa Peer, who's another good friend of mine, she's one of the top hypnotherapists in the country, hypnotherapy and past life regression combined is a superpower where you can clean up the debris and the karma very fast. I do believe in past lives. I do believe we're here for a reason. We each have a path and we're here to work at our karma. I do believe that. Did you mm-hmm. did you do the regression with Brian in Florida or somebody I here? did it with his, his, his psychic, a girl. A I don't girl. remember her name, but I did it with her psychic. Yeah, but that's not, I didn't like that style. I like Tara's style a lot better. She's much more deeper in the inducement. I've been to a lot of different past life regressionists. And you have to find somebody that can take you really down to the Sambalist level so that you can really let go and have no distraction. Now, that's not saying like if the air conditioner goes on, you're not going to hear it, but it doesn't bother you. Yeah. You well, can still go with the picture. And I don't like when someone puts a suggestion. I don't like like we're going to go walk in the garden and do all this stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. You need to stop talking and let me go. But then again, you know, when I'm in, when I'm doing millionaire matchmaker and you're in the chair, I'm reading you, I'm psychic. So I'm reading you, I'm reading your energy to see where you're emanating. So that's probably why I can't have anyone chatter in my ear. Mm, Got it. What do you think's going on? I mean, this is a giant question. Why did COVID happen? Yes, I know why. I know why. (laughs) You really are psychic. Okay. So it's Bill Gates is right on one thing where he's saying, we've been warned, we've been warned, we've been warned. One, it's to get Trump out of power, but it's also to get a lot of the other people out of power too in the other countries. It's to be aware that these viruses are man-made. They're not from a bat or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're man-made in the, in the labs, just like the influenza crisis you know, happened in a lab in Boston and those soldiers went over to Europe and gave it to Spain. Very similar. But that's not the reason. The reason was, is to take our mind off of the disconnection that we have in society because of the phone, because of the computer, and to teach us a new way of thinking. So when you don't work and you don't have distraction, because most of us aren't working, right? Go inward, not outward. Mm -hmm. You look at your relationships. You look at your kids. You look at what am I, what am I doing with my life? You would never be able to do it if life was moving at full speed. It was to stop and change us. Otherwise, we could end up like Lemuria or Atlantis and kill each other. Well, what do you think is going to happen with the election? I think he's out. You think he's done? Yeah, but I don't think he's, like, I think that the Russians will hack on the the places they can hack. You have to understand, Marlo is a friend of mine. And I didn't do uh, Apprentice because I knew he was going to be president. I was offered Apprentice. And I just didn't want to get into that whole world. I'm not... I'm not in favor of any of his policies. And Marla was a friend of mine and she told me he was going to be president. And the night of the election, we're texting back and forth and I see Pennsylvania come in as blue. And the first thing I say to her being a Jersey girl is we've been hacked. The Russians hacked us. Hillary Clinton is right. Whoa. And she goes, you think? And I go, no, I don't think I know. And everyone thought I was nuts. And then we find out it's true. That Russia is involved in our world because they finance Trump and he wants a race war. Putin. Yeah. Why do you think we're in Black Lives Matter? Why do you think all this is happening? Yeah, it all lines up. So we can change things. It's very much Edgar Casey. I'm a big fan of Edgar Casey. Mm-hmm. 
things have to come to a surface, even like the Holocaust, which is so horrific an event that you go, why would 6 million Jews sacrifice themselves? They might've incarnated and said, I will die in the Holocaust. So people never have this happen again, just like 9-11. Things happen like this so that we start paying attention and fixing shit. It's like the contrast that Esther's always talking about. Right. But there's no living in like, you know, Abraham would be like, well, just stay in your vortex and ignore everyone else. That's not what karma is about. That's where we differ. I believe we come together. You know, there's a great movie. It was called Adjustment Bureau. Did you ever see it? Mm, I don't think so. Matt Damon and um, what's her freaking name from Devil Wears Prada? I can't think of her name. Um, The one that plays the second assistant in Devil Wears Prada. I can't think of her name. Anyway, it talks about the chess moves. So two people fall in love. He's supposed to be president. She's supposed to be a famous dancer. And the adjustment bureau are like a group of angels that God sends down and says, these two people can't get together. It's impossible. They will ruin everything for the rest of the world because everything's like a domino effect. But because they love each other so much, they figure out how to defy the odds. It's a great spiritual movie. And, you know, it teaches you that, yes, you have the power to change yourself, but you also need help. From above as below. Otherwise, it's not going to work. You're not, it's not like you're going to wave a magic wand and you're Harry Potter. It's like we all have to help each other in this. We have to stop being selfish. We have to put, you know, I always say to people, if you have health, you have nothing. So I don't give a damn about wealth before health. I want health before wealth. Because you can't take it with you. I love that. Okay, I want to bounce around a little bit uh, before we wrap with some uh, some random okay. questions about you. Sure. What okay. do people often get wrong about you? They think that I'm a bitchy, ballsy bitch. <laughs> and I'm not. I'm a, I'm a marshmallow inside. My voice is kind of direct because I'm East Coast. But then when I go home, they're way faster than I, way more abrupt. You know, it's like I sit there and I talk, like Jill Zarin and I will talk and I'll be like, what'd you say? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, she's, and then she goes, you're slow. I said, I've been living in California. What do you want? Yeah, give me a minute. But I'm really sweet and I'm really sensitive and I'm not masculine energy. I'm beta at home and alpha at work. What's the one rule that you have for yourself that you're never going to break? Never sleep with your client. Mm. <laughs> Although they can't be my client then. No, I'm like, um, but my rules really are be honest. My, my real is to be integrity, have integrity and be honest. What's an unusual or absurd thing that you love? It's an unusual, like, oh, that like, can you give me an example? Like an unusual? Yeah, like, you know, um, something be like, you know, I collect crickets or I like stamp collecting oh, or um, I like, you I'm know. a huge, huge chef. And if I would have gone to chef school, if I was in a matchmaker and I would have owned my own restaurant, oh. I could and I cook for my man and I'm kind of missing not cooking for anyone right now because I don't have a boyfriend. I'm single right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I want to go to Greece because I've never been and I've always had fantasies about it since summer lovers. Okay. You <laughs> let me know when you're ready. I do a month there okay. every year. I, I love their food. I like yeah. their food. It's amazing. Okay. It's closed down to us right now. But mm-hmm. uh, if you can go to one restaurant before you die, where would your last meal be? Joe Stone Crabs, no competition, baby. Miami. I am a strong crab whore. <laughs> totally. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? All my friends say I'm psychic and I can read the landscape before it happens. They all come to me with their problems. And like my best friend was got a job in Tampa and I said, don't go. She's like, what do you mean? 
I said, don't go. You're, you're going to get there and they're going to fire you and don't buy a house there because you're going to regret it. She bought a house. She regretted it. They fired her. She's like, how do you know? I go, because I could already see what was going to happen. All right. What's your guilty pleasure? Oh, television. Which one? Netflix. Yeah. What show specifically? Oh, I watch everything. Uh, Peaky Blinders. I watch, I just watched White Lines. It was great. I like a lot of British TV. Like I loved Bodyguard. I love, I get really into the Brits. They're just fascinating or Australians. But I mean, I mean, I just watched, you know what's really good? Brave New World on Peacock. That was amazing. Okay. So TV is really my guilty player. I could sit and watch TV all day long. Normal people on Hulu, the great, you know, some of the great stuff didn't get nominated for Emmys this year. Better things on Fox. What about when you watch your own stuff, if you do? What's that feel like? I can't watch it. I don't watch it. You can't do it. The only thing that I do once in a while is my best friend is my hair and makeup person, and she's my lighter on set. If I didn't have her, I would die. So I will once in a while, she'll say, like, I hate profile shots and little things, and I'll, I'll critique it but I can't listen to it. And then I'll send it over to the DP and say, what the fuck were you doing that day? Where's the light? And why'd you shoot that angle? I can't, I'm, I'm thinking about, it. I'm fat. I need to change my hair. I need to wear something different. Like I can't watch it. I can't, I criticize myself too much. All right. Two last two questions. With every new level comes a new devil. What are you currently struggling with? Um, reinvention. Hmm. The business is in a weird place because of the apps. We're trying to find a way to do an app with the right players. We have all the wrong players calling. So if you are a company and you want to call me, call me, DM me on Instagram. Um, And we want to get into the product business. I want to do supplements and wellness. I had Hashimoto's for seven years Mm. since I went into menopause at 53. Mm. And I said, I don't believe that this is real. And Hashimoto's is pretty serious. The antibodies attack the thyroid. And I said, I'm going to change this. I'm going to find a way to kick this Hashimoto's out of my body. Well, my doctor laughed at me. So I went to another doctor, a functional medicine doctor. And as of a week ago, Monday, I don't have Hashimoto's anymore. After seven years of taking Tyrosin, I found a way to eat supplements, meditate. I do transcendental meditation. I I found a way to kick it out of my body, which by the way, I'm the 1% of the population that can do that. So I want to teach other people how to do all these things that I do in wellness. I love it. All right. Last question. What one question would you like to ask me? How did you get, how'd you get your podcast? What'd you do? I decided um, a few years ago, I spent a, a big bulk of my life working my ass off and never taking time off and getting fat and blah, blah, blah. And then I said, fuck it. And I went the other way and I started traveling around the world, spraying champagne in Saint-Tropez and blowing a bunch of money, more money than I had. And then I was like, I got to find a way to balance my passion for entrepreneurship and my passion for play. And so I decided to create a podcast called Work Hard, Play Hard to interview people on a lot of the subjects that you and I just started talking about. And uh, it took off. And now I've got events around the world. Uh, like, for example, I was just with Lewis Howes. Uh, in, oh, yeah, I know Lewis. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was just with Lewis in Greece. Uh, he was at one of the events and, in Mykonos. And uh, I basically force entrepreneurs to play. Like, we just got back. Uh, before that, we did uh, the south of France. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, uh, they get there. They land in Nice. I've got helicopters that are waiting for them. And I helicopter them into Monaco. And... Um, had vintage cars and we went through the French Riviera and then we went, uh, yeah, speedboats to Saint-Tropez and we just did truffle hunting in, uh, in Chianti. Oh my God, I'm a truffle addict. That's probably one of my guilty pleasures truffle? too. Truffle? 
Yeah. Well, the reason why it's mm-hmm. so expensive is because it's so fucking hard to get. Like we're out there with dogs trying to dig them up. It's not easy. Yeah. And they used to use wild boars back in the That's day. That's what they did. I know. They did. I live with truffle oil in my house. I have like, I just got truffle salt today, like a huge thing in the mail because someone sent it to me. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. Well, Patty, we've got a lot in uh, alignment together. I cannot thank you enough uh, for taking the yeah. time to do this. And like one of the things that we can tell everybody right now, because COVID is so you know, depressing and everyone's broke. I am teaching people how to become a millionaire. They can DM me on Instagram and I'm setting them up on zoom calls. So we're setting it up so that they can, you know, I can train them. There's five great jobs that you could do right now in COVID to make yourself a millionaire by the end of next year. Tell me more about that. How does that work? Is it uh, people tell me where to go so that people can opt in? So they can DM me on Instagram at pattystanger.com or they can go to millionaires club with an S one, two, three.com. And basically I came up with five jobs that you could do in your underwear. Just, I made a million dollars in my business in my underwear. Okay. You know, 20 years ago. And I said, why can't you do it now? Because when I was going through my COVID, so to speak, situation where, you know, every, I didn't have any money, came to California with a dollar in my pocket. I had to reinvent myself from what I used to do before. And what I realized was there are people that are making money right now. One of my best friends is making money in masks. Another one is making it in food delivery services, but there are five jobs that no one even thought of that are digital, that are managerial. You could do from home. That's in the millionaire business. And these are for women only. You have to contact me and I'll tell you all about them and then I'll train you how to do it. This is only for women though, right? No, 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 no. It's for gays, women, fluid, pink polka dot, pansexual, doesn't matter. It's for any person that wants to be a millionaire. I know millionaires. You got to understand, I'm a millionaire. I know millionaires and billionaires. You know, I got Sumner Redstone engaged. Like I know what, how they think and I know what their habits are, but more importantly, I don't, the millionaire mindset is one subject like Lewis and those guys do. Mm -hmm. I do more practical stuff. Okay. I want to see you go from point A to point B to point C. So money starts to flow and we all want cash right now. So I teach you how to get cash fast for a business that'll stay after COVID's gone. I love it. All right. We're going to link everything up in the show notes. Patty, thank you again for taking the time. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. Listener.